But uh, a couple things are happening this morning for the first time that I'm so excited about. You are sitting on brand new chairs that you purchased, we purchased for the school. So uh, this is the first time, well, they actually got used last week for our dinner. But uh, another first this morning is um, this is the beginning of meeting every week. For 17 months, we have been meeting every other week and every now and then meeting for different things. But uh, we have taken the step that we're going to gather weekly, and we're really excited about uh, the new people and being able to see each other every week. So we're taking all these wonderful steps forward. And, um, but the thing I'm most excited about is each of you, that you're here. Um, because it's a gift. It's a gift together in community. It's a gift to come to a place where we can share love and um, blessing with each other. And I feel that from you. This morning, um, we're going to jump into the Sermon on the Mount and talking about not showing off our righteousness. And before I even get there, can I tell you, I don't think that's a problem for any of you in this room. Um, not because you don't express it, but I don't think any of you are show-offs. I'm looking around the room. I don't see many people that love to show off. Um, but it'll be helpful to us this morning. Oh, I got one more thing. One, this is another little blessing. Carrington, come here. Debbie and I just had our fourth grandchild. Lux. It's her first Sunday in church. Yes. And I should, I sh- I should have you know, um, Nick, she didn't even wake up for the music. So it was so heavenly, she just slept the whole time. So maybe we should record that and give that to parents. But Carrington and Zach, that was, that's their third girl. So they're now in the realm of femaleness that I've never been. So pray for Zach, all right? Because <laughs> I know it's tough with... Three girls at home with four? Oh, my. Uh, uh, and wait a minute. I, I have heard mothers say that boys are a lot easier to raise than girls. Is that true? No? Okay. So <laughs> I, depends on, I guess it depends on what you have, right? <laughs> Grass always looks greener on the other side for sure. Okay. Well, today's the 11th week journeying through the Sermon on the Mount. And let me just tell you this, that we're talking about pictures of possibility. Jesus, through these three texts in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I think he's given us pictures of possibilities of what humanity could look like, what being human could look like. And Jesus believes in the possibility and the potential of us being those human beings that we were created and made to be. So these texts, just in so many different ways, invite us into that, and they teach us how we can grow, how we can surrender, how we can move our lives toward being what it is that we were made, the mystery. Like, each of us have been blessed with this gift of breath, right? Um, And what we do with that breath is largely determined by what guides us and what we grow in and what we move our hearts toward. So Jesus helps us here in these three chapters going, hey, let me, let me help guide you in what it might look like to be human in the way that I made you. So today is the 11th installment. We have finished chapter 5. We are in the chapter 6. So progress today. But let me read, uh-oh, my podium's falling apart. Um, let me read to you this text, and then and we'll jump into it here. Um, chapter 6, verse uh, 1, it says this, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others? Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Okay, so this is a text. I want to focus on two words in this, and there are two words right at the beginning. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. These are two words I want to focus on, your and righteousness. Now, I don't know if, if this clicked for any of you, but it clicks for me that just a few weeks back we were looking at chapter 5 where Jesus says to let your light shine before men so they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father. You remember that? That happened just a few verses back. And then this verse says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. So it seemingly, is there a contradiction there? Because it seemed like just a, you know, a few verses back, Jesus is telling us to let our light shine. So I, wanna, I learned this from a pastor, um, Jason Miller, and then I've went and studied it myself. And I think we want to, are you guys ready? We're going to look at a Greek word, do a little Greek word work, okay? How many are up for that? You know, I don't know if I want to do that. Greek, what? It's all Greek to me. Um, yeah, so if you put this up, I want you to see this. Um, let your light shine before others. And uh, the, the interesting thing here is this word your. Um, it is a second, uh, how do you say, second person um, pronoun that is used here in a plural sense. So when Jesus says, let your light shine before men, he's talking about your in a plural sense. He's talking about who? All of us. That there is a way that all of us collectively as the church, not just in this gym, but around the world, can shine our light together in such a way that it would show off God and show this beautiful gift to the world. And that's why, if you've ever wondered why our church is so different, it's because we're all wired different. And I think it's more beautiful when the church has more of an expression and a beauty and a diversity to it because we're all different. We need different places of community to connect to this mystery. So uh, go, go, show me the next one. If I were to put these side by side, you'll see these are two different words in the Greek. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others, which is singular. Now, I find that really fascinating because there seems to be this way that collectively we can shine our light to the world and God gets the glory and not, no one of us gets it, but the body of Christ and God gets glorified in it. But then there's also this way that we could practice our righteousness in such a way it's like, look at me. You know, look how great I am. Look what I do in the name of the divine or of God. Now, I want to tell you a story, and I'm embarrassed to say this, but um, part of doing this job is being vulnerable and being humble. And when I was uh, a young pastor, um, I looked up to this, this guy that I would say he was my, my mentor. And he, he told a story in a church service one time of how he went into a steak and shake. I don't remember where. I think it was in Oklahoma or somewhere. And <laughs> in the steak and shake, there are these people, they're, t they're, they're, they're cussing, all right? And they're taking the name of the Lord in vain, all right? And he's like, enough of that. And he, so, so he decided every time someone cusses, I'm going to praise the name of the Lord. And so he tells this story. And so someone would cuss and he'd go, Jesus is Lord. You know, and he's telling this story. And um, as things progress, these people start, uh, you know, changing. And by the end of the story, all those people 
come to him, and they, they bow down and say, can you make Jesus our Lord and Savior? All right? And I'm, I'm listening to that as a young pastor going, wow, that is so cool. Like, um, and I'm kind of noting, um, maybe I'll have to look for an opportunity to try that. So I am pastoring kids for the first time. I'm one year into this student ministry, and I'm just trying to win these kids' hearts over to trust me. So I find myself in a pizza hut, and I'm going, hmm. And uh, there were some, some, some people acting up in the corner, making noise, and someone swore. And so I'm with like 25 students that are just getting to know me, and someone swore, and I stood up and I go, praise the Lord. <laughs> I know, it just sounds crazy. Um, and uh, so, uh, but it was not going, the more that they cussed, the more that I praised the Lord, the more louder they got, and it got worse and worse and worse. Now here was the sad thing about this to me. When I started looking down at these students, um, they were putting their head down. Like, they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed to be with me. So I'm doing this because I've heard a story of someone else doing it, and it sounded like a good idea and maybe a way that I could glorify God and teach these students something, but it was not happening like that at all. And um, they, they really got vulgar. And here, but here's the worst thing. There was 25 kids that I embarrassed, and because I just tried to mimic something that someone else did, I felt like in a horrible way I'd hurt these kids and their faith. And so I remember driving home that night and just really grieving in my heart, going, man, that was really stupid. Like, what were you thinking? And I spent the whole next week on trying to undo that, calling students and apologizing to them, going, I don't... I don't know where that came from, but that was not a helpful thing at all. So this has happened to me. I've, in some way, and I, and I think it could happen when we're meeting well, but I think maybe it would have been better had I just stayed focused on those kids and, and loved them, enjoyed some pizza with them, and, and let the ruckus go on. But anyways, this happens. Now, the word righteousness, um, Jesus here I want to just give you a little example because there's this tremendous argument going on in the Bible between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. They were called the Pharisees about what is righteousness, what is goodness, and they're arguing. They were, I don't want to say argue. They were debating. Jesus had you know uh, incredible conversations with them around this topic. And here's what was the difference between how Jesus saw it and how these religious leaders saw it. The religious leaders saw righteousness as just doing the right thing. That's one way to think about righteousness. It is the act of doing what is right. And um, that's not a bad thing. We should all be working toward that. And by the way, I actually think doing the right thing and being good actually feels good. I've discovered that, that often when your life is moving toward things that are good and right, you don't need a whole lot of external praise or external things happen in your life. There's something internal that begins to happen, and you're like, oh, man, it feels good to, to live that way. It felt good to be kind, or it felt good to be generous. It felt good to forgive. Now, sometimes it's a long road to feeling good in forgiveness, but ultimately, I've learned that you can get there. So the reward is often just in doing the right thing, there's this goodness. God's wired us in a beautiful way. So Jesus saw it a little bit differently because he said it's not just enough to do the right thing, but are you the kind of person who is naturally doing the right thing? Let me give you an example of what I mean by this that, that could be helpful. 
Um, Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not kill. Um, I think we could look around the room at each other and go, hey, we're doing pretty good with that one, right? We feel really good about ourselves on that one. But he, J- Jesus takes it further. He shows us a deeper meaning. He goes, but do you have anger in your heart toward a brother? Do you have something in your heart toward another that's kind of, you know, weighing on you? And because I may not kill you, but do I want to kill you? <laughs> would, I, would I secretly be happy if I heard something went horribly wrong in your life and you got what you deserved? Like, Jesus is inviting us into something completely deeper. So the Pharisees would go, hey, just do the right thing. Jesus is going, wait a minute. Do you actually want to be the kind of person that does the right thing? Because when we really start thinking about that and we really start opening our hearts up to that way, um, that's living. That's really living. So, is there anger running around wildly in your heart? You remember the text when Jesus said, okay, you heard it said, do not kill. But I say, is there anger in your heart? He even says this. He says, if you're in a worship service or you're bringing a sacrifice, hey, leave your sacrifice there. I don't even want your worship. This is, the precedent is reconciliation over worship. Go make that right what's in your heart. He would rather Back in the day, they'd have wild animals that they would bring into the temple. He goes, let the wild animals run loose, but don't let that anger run loose in your heart because that matters much more than this sacrifice or this religious thing or this thing that we're doing together. You see how Jesus goes to the deeper places of our life and our hearts and is trying to help us become the human beings that we were made to be. Now, um, I'm a lifelong Cleveland Browns fan. You can all pray for me. You can cry for me. Um, I've never seen the Cleveland Browns win a, a championship. I heard they did in the 60s, but I, um, I wasn't born yet. So, And um, we had this quarterback named Baker Mayfield, and he played for the Oklahoma Sooners. Any Oklahoma Sooner fans in the room? Okay, good, because I don't like the Sooners. So that won't, you won't. And, um, but Ohio State had a rivalry with them back when Baker played, and Baker planted this flag in the middle of our field after beating us really bad in Ohio Stadium. And me being the loving man that I am, I've held that in my heart for quite some time. So what happens uh, a year later, he gets drafted by the Cleveland Browns. And I'm like, what? No. I don't like Baker. Like, he cannot play for my childhood team. And so, I, and you could ask my wife, I've tried to like Baker. I've tried to, um, he's now the quarterback on my childhood team, and I'm going to have to find a way to like him, all right? And so uh, for four years, um, Baker has been Baker. You've seen his commercials, and I think Baker gets a lot of praise outside of football, and he's kind of up and down on the football field. And so anyways, you, many of you know what happened. Baker got traded to uh, the Carolina Panthers. Well, the Browns opened up the season against the Panthers. Like, who, who does the scheduling? Like, all the drama that can happen. The first game of the season, he's with his new team, with the old team he left, and here's what happened. I'm watching this game, and it's more than just wanting the team that my team is playing against to lose. Um, like, I'm, and Debbie was there. Was I not verbal against my frustration of Baker? He's not even, and so that night, I don't know what happened, but, oh, I was watching um, a press conference with Baker, and this is, this is, just how this stuff plays out in my life. And I think it could play out in many people's lives that I think would actually make the world better. So I'm just submitting this as for you guys to think about. But 
I saw an interview and it like just clicked with me and I saw Baker as a human being. Like I didn't see him as the rival. And I was listening to him talk and something in my heart went, what is that that you feel toward him? And it bothered me all night. Next morning I woke up and I told Debbie, I'm like, Debbie, something is not right in my heart toward Baker. <laughs> and I don't know what it is, but I don't know where that came from, but it was way too severe. It's okay to root against the team that you're playing. But there was something deeper that was happening in my heart. Now, I don't know if your faith messes with you like that, but I've learned to trust it because there is a certain kind of person that I just don't want to act like. There's a certain kind of person that I naturally want to be. And I don't want to be somebody that has some kind of hate or anger or bitterness toward another human being, even if it's someone I don't know, like Baker Mayfield. So I spent that whole next day going, what is that? Like, where is it coming from? I don't have the answer to it, but I do know this. My faith is active, and I'm paying attention. So I'm not just going to kind of breeze through life. I'm going to go, hmm, what's in the deep waters there that would make that so severe and so strong? So that's one thing here that Jesus is trying to help us avoid is, hey, let's pay attention to the deeper things that are happening in our hearts. Okay, um, Karen, if you put up that next slide, here's the way this person says it. Don't be a holy Joe. <laughs> you may impress some people, but you won't impress God. Don't be a holy Joe. Absolutely love that. And I could, I'll put my name in there, especially what I did at the Pizza Hut. Don't be a holy George, because you're not going to impress anybody. Um, and you're certainly not impressing God. And you're going to spend your whole week calling all those kids and apologizing to them and hoping you didn't wreck their faith, right? Yeah, don't be a holy Joe. And I love in the Message Bible, um, uh, Eugene Peter, he says this. He says, don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. <laughs> That is so good. Like, why do we do the things we do um, is a good question to ask. And I don't think you can engage with these texts and not ask those deeper questions. And, and even when they seem to be challenging you in some way, if you can learn to trust that, I think they lead to more joy, to more thriving, to a better life, to a better world. So. Of course, when we gather in a place like this, sometimes we're going to feel comfort and love, and sometimes we're going to feel this little prodding at our soul that goes, you're better than that, and you were created for so much more. Pay attention to that, and let's find some help in healing in that in some good way. Okay, so the first part of righteousness is the act of what is doing is right. Here's the second part of this. Righteousness is this. It is the state of being in right relationship with God. Now, I want to show you this um, in 1 John uh, chapter 4. Like, what does it mean to be in right relationship with God? I want to give you just my take of what it means to me. And there's probably lots of different ways this could be personal to you. But I think this is just a beautiful overarching way to think about what, if I'm in right relationship with God, what does that mean? Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not 
love does not know God because God is love. This puts just the basics. If you know somebody, what? You're in relationship with them, and they know you. So the scripture here just simply goes, if you're going to be in relationship with God, you're going to be in some kind of relationship with healthy love, with divine love, with the kind of human love that you were made to experience. Um, And then it goes on to say, God is love, who lives in love, lives in God, and God in them. At the very basic ground level, to be in relationship with God is to be deepening in what it means to love and to be loved. The text even says to know that God loves you. Um, the people who are most loving and most willingly share love, in my you know, uh, understanding, the people that I've encountered, they're people that have an understanding of how they're loved or they've been loved in some kind of deep way. So that's obviously what it means. And here's, here's another way of saying it, this righteousness. True righteousness is when someone is so grounded in the love and the grace of God that the divine flows through them to those around them. That's true righteousness. That's truly being in right relationship with God. It's doing that. But it's hard to do that if we're not experiencing it on some deep level. Now, uh, the Baker deal. Um, I still don't have all that answered, um, and I'll, I'll, I just want to be honest. It could be part of the way that I'm wired. I played quarterback in high school, and maybe there's something deep down. I wish I would have had the success of Baker because I wanted to play football, and I couldn't after high school. wasn't good enough. Um, I don't know. Is there some of that still there? Um, is it, could it possibly be that he just planted a, a, an Oklahoma flag on our Ohio State? Like, if that's it, I got to grow up. Like, I got to mature because that should not be dragging me down, right? So there are all these things that are happening. Now, here's what is so helpful to me, and I want to um, invite us as a community to consider these things. Um, I am a big proponent to a thing called the Enneagram. I don't know how many have ever heard that or have heard it talked about. I know. And some of you in here are snickering, going, ah, that's all silly stuff. Um, I happen to have discovered that opening my heart, learning more deeply about myself and the way I'm wired has helped me grow. It's helped me mature. It's helped me grow into the human being that I am. So uh, one of the things about me and my personality, I'm a type nine. Um, What what some of you in here, if you know your Enneagram? What are you? Let me hear them. Type one? Seven? What else? You're six? Seven? She said you're a four? She said you're a four? Well, she's a therapist. She should be able to tell you. Um, but um, let me tell you what's interesting about the Enneagram, and let me tell you how it might help us on this journey. Because the Enneagram is different. And by the way, this has Christian roots. All the way back into uh, the fourth century, this is something that has been developed over time for spiritual growth. It's not just psychological health and well-being, but this actually is very helpful to spiritual growth, I've learned. And we're mind, body, and spirit. So anything that we could do to be growing as human beings can be very helpful. So, um, but the Enneagram, it, it actually deals with your internal motivation. Like, what is that thing inside you that motivates you? And then also, what is, what is your, like, core fear in life? Like, those are, those are really important things to know. And so for me, um, mine, I'm a nine, and they teach you there is this holy idea that every type has. And you might be surprised to hear what mine is. Mine is love. My holy idea is love. Um, it is the, the North Star 
that I've experienced through Jesus Christ. It is the North Star that the scriptures teach me. God is that. So it just so happens it works perfect. I'm right where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing because that's my holy idea is love. And so I've given my entire life to that, whether it is speaking to a group of people like this to you or whether it's an interaction on a personal level with someone, I'm always aiming for that. My core fear is this. It's that um, there might be some kind of loss from the love that I want to connect to. So I live with this fear of, man, I'm going to lose that. I'm going to lose that person. And so here's where understanding these kinds of things can really be helpful. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to teach us when he's talking about, hey, think about the motivation of your heart. Not just what you do, but why you do it. Healthy, whole human beings, they hold attention to that. I'm doing this, and here's why I do that. Well, um, for me, this could come out sideways. Although my holy idea is love, here's what I have learned. I sometimes will love out of fear to not lose something that I care deeply about. So I find myself acting in a particular way, and I'm afraid I'm going to lose something. So um, it's not really coming from the holy idea of love, although I'm aiming from it. It's coming from this place of what? Fear. And so understanding how I'm wired sometimes has helped me go, wait a minute, that was not pure love. That was fear. Like you did that because you were afraid you were going to lose this or that. And so what it does is it forces me, not forces me, it invites me to pause and go, wait a minute, I want to live out of something more pure and beautiful than my fear. And how confusing does it get if I'm interacting with you and um, I'm loving you out of fear and not out of just holy love? It could be confusing for you too. So I'm learning this about me, and these are great things to understand about ourselves. One other thing I'll say, and then I'm, I'm going to close. Um, it also tells you about the virtue that you are to shoot for. Um, and my virtue is action. Um, because the one thing about the nine is that they want a peaceful world, inside and outward. So they're good mediators. That, you know, they try to bring people together. Um, but um, we will not exhaust ourselves um, going after that holy idea of love. We'll kind of sit back because... We don't want to lose that energy within us. We don't want to lose that level of peace. So for me, um, the virtue is I got to move into action. But I got to move into action with the right motivation of heart. Not out of fear, but out of because that is the kind of human being that I want to be. Do you guys see the difference? Um, so this is what Jesus is asking us through these texts. Do the right thing. Be righteous. Um, let my love flow through you. But also... Think about why you do what you do. If there's some unhealthy reason why you're doing it, can you work on it a little bit? Because I bet it'll be better for you, it'll be better for all those around you, and it will absolutely be better for the world. Okay, here's what this guy says, and then I'm going to close. Virtuous persons are virtuous for no other reason than they would not desire to be other than they are. Virtuous people aren't just people who do virtuous things, but they're virtuous because they absolutely want to be those kind of people. And there's a difference, and it's subtle. But can I say this? We can't get there all by ourselves. We, we started today talking about the mystery that invites us into these human lives and helps us thrive. Um, we talked about how it's meaningful 
that we gather in places like this and we could help each other and be reminded of what a virtuous person is and what motivates a virtuous person. Yeah, these things all come into play. But the question really comes down to this. Do we want to be those kind of people? Because it's not good enough just not to kill someone. There's a better way to be human and it's to not want to kill someone. To not have that angst in your heart that makes life more difficult than it needs to be. And we can't do that all on our own. We need grace and we need each other for sure. Okay, would you stand with me? I want to, here's what I want to invite you to do because one of the things when we started this church we felt like it was really important that we just didn't talk about things but we practiced and invited people to practice what it is that we talk about. So I want you to think about this. Um, when you leave today, what if we all thought about one person that we could give to um, unanimously, or anonymously? <laughs> um, what if we could find someone and just go, I wonder what it feels like to give and to not, them not to know? Um, that's an experiment I'd like us all to try. And um, you can report back to me um, what you might feel. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily have to be money or material things. Maybe it's a word of blessing. Maybe it's writing someone or calling someone and letting them know, hey, I really see this in you. And it's one of the most beautiful things in the world that I see. Don't stop being that. Don't start, stop living out of that. Um, what if, and man, this is really getting radical. What if there was someone that has hurt us and or someone that you know we need to ask forgiveness of what what if we took the risk to to reach out to them yeah these, these are kind of crazy things what if we blessed an enemy um, anonymously and didn't even know it that maybe I should do that for Baker now that I think about it well how could I bless Baker somehow without him knowing it might actually change my heart more than it would change his yeah I think those are the kinds of things that Jesus is inviting us to so my friends, my brothers and sisters here, may we desire more than anything to be those kind of people. May we have hearts that are showing up in this rational world that's got us all in our minds. May we reconnect through the love of God and the grace of God with our hearts. And may it not only benefit us, may it benefit those that we live most closely with, may it benefit those that we work, and may it be a blessing to the world around us. May grace and peace be with each of us. And may we trust the challenge and the invitation of Jesus here. I love you all. Have a great week.